truly he is worship, uh, worshipful and worthy this morning. So we turn to his word and not ours. Amen. Second Kings chapter six. Second Kings chapter six. As I sat and listened to the music this morning, especially that song. I don't know why I seem to have been transported back in time for just a moment. And I'm sitting in the pew of my grandparents' church alongside my mother's parents. Beautiful, beautiful, small sanctuary, not far from where I grew up. I can remember standing and preaching in that pulpit as a young preacher and having the privilege of preaching there after having sat with my grandparents when I'd visit on Sunday nights. Now, Mom and Daddy wasn't going to let us visit on Sunday morning because we had to be in our Sunday school class, but we would go visit, and I can remember walking in. They had the absolute most beautiful stained glass windows in this small milltown village church. And sitting there with my grandparents, and oftentimes as a, a teenager, young boy, uh, I know it's hard for you to believe, but my mind would wander. And I would stare at those stained glass windows, and I would look, and every one of them had names in one little pane of stained glass at the bottom. These were very expensive windows. And it would say, in memory of, or in honor of. And then I got noticing on the ends of the pews. See, back in the old days, we had pews in churches. It was a joke. I like chairs. But on the end of the pews, there were little brass plaques. In memory of, in honor of. And then I got noticing I would open my hymn book and that was in somebody's memory too. I'm, one thing, I'll be honest with you, I thought, boy, they've had a lot of people die. <laughs> I knew what memory was. But a lot of people had given, a lot of people had been faithful, a lot of people had surrendered a lot to make it happen. Just recently I was talking to my dad and he said, you know, that church is about gone. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, the pastor died uh, not too long ago. and It's just gotten down to nearly nothing. And uh, if they had any bills, they couldn't pay them. What little they've got in overhead, they just, it's falling down around them. I want to ask you this question this morning. Have you ever sat and thought or been absolutely beside yourself with the quandary, why did this have to happen? Why did this happen? Or what about this? Why does bad things sometimes happen to what our idea of good people is. Now understand, let me preface that idea, there's none good, okay? But I'm talking about people who are faithful, people who are serving God, people who pray and 
lead Sunday school and take up the offering and preach and sing and do all these things. And then it seems like bad things happen. Angela, can you cue up that second verse of good, good father? I've seen many searching for answers, both far and wide. And I know that we're all searching for answers that only you, God, can provide. Because you know just what we need before we even say a word. And I didn't plan this, but when I saw it, man, I wanted to just shout, knowing of where we're going today. This is one of the coolest miracles of all the Bible. Elisha having received that double portion of faithfulness and God's giftedness on his life, works a great miracle in the life of a young servant of God. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. And when the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. In other words, hey, where we're... Where we're serving together is too small. We have grown. Now, as you study of the school of the prophets, Elijah and Elisha both believed in investing in younger men's lives, other people's lives. And so there were schools of, of the prophets in Gilgal. They were, uh, there was a school in Bethel. What is Bethel or Bethel? What does that mean? The house of God. And so they were there, and now here on the banks of the Jordan, we see another school of the prophets. And so they had gathered together and they said, hey, where we're serving together, where we're living together, it's not big enough. Now this was not an arrogant statement. This was fact. They had outgrown their facilities. And so they said, let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. And one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, Cutting down a tree, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. I say, that's no big deal. Borrow my tools and it will be. Amen? Come on, guys. I've borrowed tools before. Do you know that in Deuteronomy and Exodus, in the law, there is a law that references what you do if you borrow someone's tool and something happens to it, God's very clear about that, about replacing it. You know what? We live in a culture and a society today that thinks we owe no man anything no matter what happens. We're not responsible for our own actions. We're entitled to do whatever we want to do. We can say and be anything, and there is no accountability. 
I'm telling you, you may beat the system in your school. You may beat the system of your parents, but you'll never beat God. There is coming a day of judgment. And this young man knew it. He knew things had took a dirty twist. And he screamed, oh no, it was borrowed. And the man of, man of God said, where did it fall? Where fell it? And he showed him the place. He cut down a stick and he cast it in thither. And the iron did swim. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand. And he took it. Now, first of all, we've got to decide something. Did this really happen? Ryan, that same bunch that's enjoyed truth you, believes it. We must believe, if we believe John 3.16 and Psalm 23 and Philippians 4.13, then we've got to believe 2 Kings chapter 6. We've got to believe Genesis chapter 6. We've got to believe the whale really existed that swallowed Jonah. We've got to really believe that there was an ark. The Creation Muse uh, Museum with Dr. Ham has proved the size of it could exist, float, and house all the animals. They've, they built a replica there. But it didn't need to be built to prove to us that it's real in God's word because we believe by faith. This really happened. And so with that being said, now we come to the whole realization, the reality in our life, that sometimes bad things seem to happen in the midst of good motives. Why did this happen? You ever said this? God, I'm trying here. I mean... Good grief, God. I know you're God. I trust you as God. I just told you that. But God, you've got to give me a break somewhere. You ever heard somebody say, hey, just hang on. It's got to get better. That's a lie. It don't have to get better. That's that same lie that says you can be anything you want to be and that God won't ever put anything more on you than you can handle. I know that that's sacred, but it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical to say, God won't put anything on me more than I can handle. I've got news for you. God will put more on you every day than you can handle. Because you can't handle drawing your next breath. You cannot raise children without God's direction. You cannot serve God and tell others about Jesus. You want to know what's going to happen Easter morning at Eastside Baptist Church? Absolutely nothing special. If we don't trust the supernatural, diligent prayer, effectual prayer of a fervent man and the power of an almighty God to quicken our spirits and to burden our hearts to go win the lost to Christ. We're just going to have another Easter and we're going to stand out in, pretty, in front of the pretty flowered cross. What a mockery. What a mockery to dress up 
in our pastel-colored outfits and stand in front of a cross that signifies the most gruesome death in the world. It's all covered in flowers. If we don't care enough to be the flower of Christ in front of a lost and dying world. It's not about coming together to be seen and to say, God, I'm here today. Sometimes, even in our faithfulness, things happen. So let me, let me present to you what happened here. Let me give you a brief synopsis. We have a child of God doing the work of God with other servants of God to grow the kingdom of God. Does any of that sound wrong? Let me repeat it now. So you, you stay with me. I know I go pretty fast sometimes. It was a child of God doing the work of God with other servants of God to grow the kingdom of God. That sounds like, to me, a men's banquet where we prepare, prepare food and we print out flyers and we get sponsors and we go out and we invite people and we do those kinds of things. We spend all day cooking and we put up tables and we decorate. It sounds to me like a big invite where we make prayer lists and we print out invite cards and we fill out postcards and we do all that kinds of stuff. It sounds to me a lot like vacation Bible school where we do preparation. We have a Sunday night set aside just so we can come up and get a preview and we can prepare to, for those kids to come in and we come in and we decorate the whole rock and we decorate the Sunday school rooms and we decorate and we learn the music and the hand signs. We do all of that. That's what it sounds like to me. A child of God doing the work of God with other servants of God to grow the kingdom of God. Now notice with me what happened. They were students of the word. It said in verse 1, it said they were sons of the prophets. I'm going to tell you, the right place to start is the word of God. Sons of the prophets was not signifying that they followed Elijah or Elisha exclusively. They followed the God of the prophets. That's who they were following. And these men had saw there was a need, a need to teach the younger generation about the Lord. There's a plan coming up. I read about this week called U 2019. It's coming out of the Georgia Baptist Convention. Because in the last few years, the majority of Georgia Baptist churches have not baptized a single teenager. That we're missing the opportunity to reach young people for Christ. I'm going to tell you something now. Everybody knows this, so... Understand my heart here. I love a good cruller donut. Ferris, I love him cruller. I, I make a visit every once in a while. And I've got a couple of special uh, kids, Sunday school teachers will leave me a chocolate-covered Krispy Kreme on my desk every once in a while. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with talking about March Madness. And I wore my basketball cufflinks today just in honor of March Madness. I hadn't watched any games, and I really don't care. I don't have a clue. Uh, I think Notre Dame got beat. Uh, and I know South Carolina won some kind of big game. Look, Ryan's got to grasp 
or anything you can when you're a South Carolina fan, okay? I'm a Georgia Tech fan. I feel your pain. But if we come to Sunday school and all we do is we talk about what we did this week, we talk about what's in the paper and who won the ball game, and we eat donuts and we have a big time, we slap each other on the back, and we don't study the Word of God, we don't go deeper. If you're not, if you're a teacher, you're not studying your work. If you're a student, you're not studying your lesson, you're preparing. Look, we're to the point, we don't even buy books anymore because we say they won't take them home, and if they do, they lose them. What does that say about our desire for the Word of God? They were students of the Word. It's not your Sunday school teacher's responsibility to spoon-feed you the Word of God. Read your Bible. Isn't that a novel idea? Read your own Bible. I mean, you read the latest hunting and fishing tactics. You read every recipe that's been pinned. I wonder, do some of these people actually cook any of this stuff? My wife has her own library of cookbooks and says, what do you want for supper? <laughs> really? What's our focus? They were sons of the prophets. They were students of the word. This was, I mean, these people were sold out. They were wanting to hear from God. Now, if you come into worship today, and you're already sitting at, at the mid, midpoint where you're not looking and you're not necessarily indicting, but you're just waiting to see if the preacher messes up. If he fails to conjugate his verb or uses a double negative. If you're looking for him to somehow mess up, I can assure you, you came to the right place. But if you're looking to hear from God, with a heart for God, and you just may hear something out of God's word that will change your life. <clears throat> Sometimes you don't even know it because people have come back to me and said, Preacher, you preached this. Ryan said a couple months ago and he referenced it today. I'm like, what did I preach a couple months ago? But then somewhere down the line, God takes that which you placed in your heart, brings it to your mind, and encourages your walk. They were students of the word. But notice they were co-laborers in fellowship. It said, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. They were working together in fellowship. Can I be honest with you? Some of the greatest days of seminary were days where me and other guys in our classes we, sometimes we were not even in the same class, but we had a couple of favorite lunch uh, hole-in-the-wall. There was this one little hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant in Conyers. We'd have to get on the expressway and drive down to get to. And, uh, man, it was great. We'd sit around in fellowship, or we'd go to the food court at Stonecrest Mall, and we'd sit there and just talk about the Word of God, talk about life and what God was doing in our ministries and learning. A lot of times one of the greatest 
joys of my life is getting to sit down with guys that I haven't seen in a while or talk to them over the phone. And one thing I've learned to always do is tell me what's working. Tell me what God is doing in your church. Tell me what's not working. And then I'll tell you what's going on in my life. They, it, it's a good reminder. Our president of the Georgia Baptist Convention, Thomas Hammond, began a program last year called Unite Georgia. And I went to one of the main regional meetings of that and talked with Thomas and several others. And they handed out papers. They said, if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to unite throughout Georgia, fill out your name, your phone number, and your email. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. As a pastor, that's hard to do. It's hard to give out that much information because we're inundated with sales calls, literature, people wanting something, somebody wanting to be supported all the time. And can I tell you, everybody in this room has a heart for some kind of ministry, and I am the bad guy because I have to pray and decide which one God wants our church to give to because we can't give to all of them. And so I gave it out. Well, it just started last month. They, they will text me and say, your new partner uh, is out for this month. And I, would pun I punch in my phone number on the website, and it gives me a, a pastor somewhere in Georgia, and it gives me his info. This month, my pastor, friend, that I, my prayer partner, is a guy uh, that pastors Cedar Creek in Winder, Georgia. What's really neat about this is I wanted to know something about his life. And I went to the website and read what's going on in his life. And then I went, and I don't know why, I, I looked to see where the church was because I'd preached around that area one time on a mission trip. And I hit the street view. And when I went to the street view, I said, that's the church I preached in. Their pastor has since retired, but that's the church I preached in. And I called the pastor and I said, hey, I'm your prayer partner. I preached in your pulpit. Man, I'm praying for you. I'm praying God would work in your life and bless your church. Guys have called me and done the same. We are co-laborers. We're not enemies. We may not always agree on everything. Matter of fact, I promise you we won't. But I can tell you there's only one cause that's going to stand the test of time, and that's the cause of Christ. We're to work together. We're co-laborers in the fellowship. Dwell together. Have you ever seen somebody that plays church roulette? They spin the wheel and decide which one they're going to go to next. And if their needs aren't met, If they didn't have enough for the youth, or this is my favorite, just not being fed, then they're going to go somewhere else. And have you ever noticed the people who do that do it more than once? Because they're looking at people and not God. Because I can assure you, I assure you, I've been in hundreds and hundreds of churches. I've been all over the United States. I've been all over the globe. I've been on several continents. And I can assure you, there are no perfect assemblies. Because there's no perfect Christians. But we have a perfect Christ. And a perfect word. We ought to be co-laborers. Remember, we're working together.
They were united in vision. He said, this, this, is, not, this is not working. It's, it's not big enough. We must grow. The place where we dwell is too straight for us. They were united in a vision. Church, we must be united in what God wants for us. And can I tell you what God wants for us? You want to hear God's vision for us? Win the lost, disciple the saved. And the rest will take care of itself. That's what they were doing. And they outgrew the facilities they had. Church, we need to be winning the lost. We need to be discipling the believers. We need to be growing in faith and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But we need to understand we must be united. If we have this group pulling this way and this group pulling that way and the young people want this and the old people want that and the middle aged want nothing because they don't want to be bothered, then we will never see the cause of Christ grow. United in vision. They were commissioned to serve. He said, okay, verse 2, go. He said, let us go. All of them said, hey, Elisha, let us go. And he said, go. Matthew 28 said, go you. Right? And do what? What I just said. Evangelize and disciple. They were commissioned. I've got news for you, church. Eastside is commissioned to be a light in Claxton, in Evans County, in the surrounding areas. And may I say, wherever a member of this assembly lives, works, and exists. You are a missionary from Eastside Baptist Church. If you lose your temper and you live like the devil, then you're a terrible, terrible witness for this church. If you're arrogant and obnoxious and think that you're better than everybody else, then you're a terrible, terrible witness for this church. But if you go out and, and, and Display the love of Jesus Christ and you let people know, hey, not that, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian. But by example, you, you show them compassion. You show them who Christ is in your life. And you're a great witness. The great witness may not be able to quote as many verses because they're too busy living. Commission to serve. They were committed to the master. Verse 3. And one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with your servants. And he said, okay, I'll go. Why does it surprise us sometimes when we pray, oh God, oh God, I need. And God says, okay, here. Why does that surprise us? Oh, it doesn't. It surprises me sometimes. I'm not the most spiritual person in the world. I, I don't know what your idea of me is. But I know what I am. Better than anybody. And what I am is a failure. Because I doubt God. I've seen God do great and mighty things and I still doubt God. I'm like, God, you have done some unbelievable things. Oh, glory and honor to your name. But I don't think you can do anything with this. God says, really? I mean, really, after all that you've seen, you're going to doubt. You've preached of me walking on the water and feeding 5,000 and 4,000 and healing the blind and raising the lame and raising the dead. You've preached and you believe in your heart that I came to this earth 
born of a virgin, lived in the flesh without sin, died on the cross, and resurrected on the third day. You believe that in your heart? You preach it from the pulpit? You don't believe I can do this? He said, go with us. And he said, I'll go. Church, are we praying to Jesus, go with us? Because I'm going to tell you something. When you pray that and God says go, you can be assured the power of God is with you. That doesn't mean it's all going to go as planned, according to our plans. Now look with me. Sometimes, sometimes, life lessons do not take place in a conventional setting or in our time frame. What may look like God's work being hindered or even halted is actually God's hand moving. I wrote that. That's pretty good, isn't it? I wrote that. Because I wrote it from where I live. Listen, sometimes life's lessons do not take place in a conventional setting or in our time frame. What looks like, what may look like God's work being hindered or even Stopped is actually God's hand moving in our life. Look with me at what happened. It says, and so as they began to cut wood and everything was great, the axe head fell into the water and he cried, cried alas, master, for it was borrowed. In the midst of a child of God doing the work of God with other servants of God to grow the kingdom of God, the worker lost his edge. Lost his edge. You gotta remember, they didn't go down to Lowe's and buy them an axe. They didn't run down to Bruce and buy him a chainsaw. They borrowed an axe. And it was not the kind, you know, now they've got the rubber handle, you know, the plastic handles and all this stuff, and some things are made on there. There's no way you're going to get the head to come off. But in the old days, it was just a good, for me, it was a piece of ash. It was an old ash wood handle, same thing they'd make baseball bats out of. And then that axe would go in there, and then you'd have to drive a wedge. But... After hitting it, under that tremendous pressure, sometimes that wedge would start to come loose. And sometimes that head would become wobbly on there. And if you didn't pay attention, the axe head would fly off. Church, sometimes we lose our edge because we get careless. Even in the midst of God's work. We can be so busy doing God's work that we miss the God of the work. Sometimes we can become so careless that what looks like an attempt, listen, men, we can get so sold out for this men's banquet. We're going to cook. We're going to have the best food. We're going to have the most wild game. And we're going to have the most people that we can be careless Hurt ourselves and others in the midst of trying to do what God wants. We can be so busy feeding the masses we miss the one. Isn't that what the disciples did? Jesus said, who touched my garment? 
And the disciples very incredulously said, Really? Did you not see the mass of people? And you are worried about somebody touched the hem of your garment? He said, I know somebody touched the hem of my garment for I perceive the power of God has gone out. They said, dude, man, what did you eat for supper? What? I mean, really? In all of this? Jesus said, I know. He turned around and he saw the one. The one. What is the story of the 99 and the one? And how the 99 will be left to go out and to rescue the one that is lost. So many times we become careless. Church, the worker lost his heart. He said, what am I going to do? You see, the tool had been misplaced. I want you to think about the ramifications. It's just an accident. Well, he didn't have a tool shed. This, he was not a lumberjack. He didn't do this for a living. He wasn't a builder. He was a son of the prophet. He was a seminary student. He was a broke college kid. And the work was going to have to halt because, remember, they were all united, so they were all going to have to stop what they were doing, work together to raise funds to provide a replacement. You understand what I'm saying? And so he lost heart. He said, oh, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he, he said, it wasn't even mine. It was borrowed. If you miss everything else I say today, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Some of you are very brilliant, great teachers of the word. Some of you have been blessed financially and you're great givers to the work of God. Some of you are so talented. Talented to the point that it almost makes me jealous. Some of us have this gift and that gift. And some of you are just so sweet, just like sugar leaking out of you. But I want you to understand something. You can't preach, teach, sing, play, work, give, you can not do anything without him. It's all a gift. It's a gift. It's borrowed for such a time as this. When you start getting my age and start get going that way, Start losing a certain, well, certain things, different things. You can't do it quite as fast as you used to. Uh, maybe you can't sing quite as many notes as you used to. Or maybe it's harder to remember things than it used to be. Maybe you can't quote as many verses as you used to quote. Maybe you have to change glasses and cock them over to be able to read or not read. 
Understand, there's only one thing that doesn't expire. And that's the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And our birthright through the adoption of sons by the blood of Jesus. Gifts are going, what is he saying in, in 1 Corinthians? Prophecy is going to quit. Gifts are going to stop. All that's going to stop. But the love of God shall always prevail. Listen to me. When you get so proud of what you're doing that you're like, hey, God, I nailed that. Beware. Beware lest the axe head sinks. When we start looking around and say, if they would just do it like I'm doing it. That sounds like independent Baptists, Southern Baptists, Charismatics, Presbyterians. We all look around and say, if they'd just be like us. If that county would do it like we do it. If that race would do it like we do it. If they would preach like I preach, sing like I sing, worship like I worship, then everything would be good. I'm going to tell you something. It's arrogant to think any of it is ours. You can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. May I say, and I pray, dear God, don't let it happen. But you can leave this place and something happen and lose that gift. Just like that. Paul said, I pray every day and I keep myself under subjection of the Holy Spirit of God lest I become a castaway. I know you're important. But understand, you're not so important that God can't do it without you. He told Esther that. He told Peter that. He told all the apostles that. He don't need us. But he loves us. Church, the worker lost heart. Have you lost heart today? Because it seems like you just can't do what you used to do. You've lost that edge. Well, remember, it wasn't your edge start with. You say, yeah, but man, I know it wasn't mine, but what am I going to do? Well, here's what happened. The worker lost his power. All work stopped. You don't know why the church of the living God is not growing? It's because we've lost our edge. Proverbs teaches us, and we had this on a man, our men's t-shirts. We call ourselves iron men because the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. But what happens when neither one's sharp? Then we're just buddies. We're just golfing partners. We're just Facebook friends. We're just relations. Nothing more. We lost our edge. Based on statistics, the Southern Baptist as a whole, yes, we have. We've lost our edge. We've forgotten who gifted us. We've forgotten it's about us, and so we have fought worship wars. We have fought generational gaps. We have fought anything and everything to do with things that have no bearing on the kingdom of God. 
We have majored on the minors and minored on the majors. We failed to keep the main thing the main thing. We have lost power. Understand something. Doing the work of God without the power of God is like trying to cut down a mighty oak tree with a baseball bat. You can swing all you want. And the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to get tired. But you can take that same baseball bat, hoe it down, and put an edge on the end of it. And the chips will fly. I love a sharp saw. Kibo, you with me on that? There ain't nothing I hate worse than to get out a chainsaw and it be dull. It bind up. It, all it does is smoke up a little bit. Of, I mean, yeah. It's just powder. Now, I want to see the chips fly. I used to have a big old husky, you know. When you crank it up, it didn't go, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, it sounded like one of them old Elsinore motorcycles. When I cranked that thing up, I knew it was on. And a new blade on that husky was like Christmas. It really was. Because when I laid the edge to the wood, it was going to throw out hunks about that big. I mean, it looked like some of that ESPN timber sport stuff. At least in my mind it did. I don't know about you, but I had to cut a lot of wood to pay bills when we got married. All we're doing at Beesworth, you, you ever watch somebody, this is what kills me, they'll take a chainsaw. A chainsaw where you mash the button and the chain will revolve on its own. And he gets dull, so they're going to help him. And so they start doing like this. That's called a hand saw. This is a chain saw. If you got to do this, stop. You know what the problem is? We've got a hold of the Holy Ghost of God, but we've become dull, and we're trying to help him out. We're trying to manufacture our works for the Lord. Am I right? Church, this time we get on our face before God, say, God, I can't do it without you. Lord, I've lost my edge. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and let the chips fly. Why did it happen? Why? Jesus told him in John 3, 27, everything you've got is because of him. There's nothing you have that he didn't give you. So why did it happen? Because remember now, this was a child of God doing the work of God with other servants of God to grow the kingdom of God. Nothing wrong with any of that. It was done to remind them of their dependence. It was his gifts for his glory. Sometimes we need to just be reminded, don't we? We need to be reminded, I can't do this. I can't do this. There are Sundays. There have been Sundays where I really physically should not have stood and preached. Somebody pet that. 
puppy. There are days where I got up and I, when I walked out of the pulpit, I was absolutely distraught at what a pitiful job I had done. I felt unprepared, hadn't prayed enough, sick. Never forget a, pre, a, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorites I've ever read after him was called A Sermon from a Sick Preacher. And walk out defeated, distraught, and dejected and thought, God, if you can do anything with that mess, you're an even bigger God than I thought. And somebody come up to me during the week and said, that's the best message I've ever heard. You know, it doesn't make me prideful. That, that's when God says, I can do whatever I want. For my strength is perfected in your weakness. It doesn't have to be the best sounding song to make the deepest impact. It just don't. You don't have to be the smartest guy on the block to give the deepest truth. Church, we must be reminded we are dependent on him by his grace and for his glory. If we're to love God and love people, then we've got to let God love us and show us his love for others. It was to show them their futility. They were broken, useless tools without an edge. They were a church of lumberjacks with nothing but baseball bats. I mean, really? There's nothing that drives me crazy. Jeremy, we was talking about it yesterday. It's so hard to work on vehicles and things like that unless you've got $100,000 worth of tools and every kind of little specialty tool and this tool and that tool. And, I mean, and then have gone to some college computer class to be able to program and do and, and you start working on something I remember Dean Cameron fix anything except for replacing an air compressor on a Ford 500 me and him said yeah well hey I'll do it he said I'll do it so we got all the parts bought all the parts pulled that thing up raised the hood and he said I can't do this so oh, what's the matter? He said, show the compressor to me. I said, uh, yeah, we might not take this somewhere. <laughs> he couldn't even see it. We didn't have all the tools. We it's not that he couldn't do it. We didn't have everything we needed to do it. So it was just easier to take it somewhere who had all the tools. Can I tell you, lost people are not going to find Jesus at the ball field unless there's Christians there telling them. They're not, hey, I wonder how many people's going to get saved during Mark's Madness. There's going to be a lot of people at lost. Isn't it astounding? I did not wear green for St. Patrick's Day. I just wanted to. It was in my rotation, and it's in my color wheel. <laughs> Quote from the blind side. It, it's odd to me that we celebrate the martyrdom of a great Christian by getting 
smashed and hammered. What an honor and glory to God. If that hurts your feelings, get over it because it's the truth. It still blows me away that we'll have Christmas parties where we get tore up, we drink, we celebrate, and we justify it, and it's about the birth of the one who lived without sin. It's to show us our, our futility, to slow us down sometimes because we lose focus. Can I tell you the most faithful Christian can burn out? You can't do everything all the time. What did Jesus look around and tell his apostles every once in a while? I'm going up there to pray. Becky and I used to imagine Back when we lived in an age before the fullness of reality sets in. And she'd say, we'd talk about having our vacation home. <laughs> and she always said, if we ever have a vacation home, I want it on the beach. I said, yeah, that sounds great. 98 degrees, covered in sand, <laughs> bugs. Sweat. I said, you don't even like fresh air. You think it will give you cancer. Yeah, but it's pretty. I said, but it's not biblical. What do you mean it's not biblical? I said, the Bible says when Jesus needed to go away, he didn't go to the beach. That's where he had to do all the nasty work. He said he went up into the mountains. I said, so we're going to have, a, we need a vacation home in the mountains. With a crisp, cool air little bubbling brook. Now don't start liking that picture so much you'll be gone next week. Sometimes we lose focus. Sometimes we get so busy doing the work of God that we burn out. Church members, leaders, listen to me. If you feel at the point of burnout, come to me. I'm not going to ridicule you. I'm not going to reject you. You, you need to come. We'll pray through it. We'll talk through it. Sometimes you just need to slow down. I can remember an old, old uh, worker on a job uh, when I first started in construction. I've told you about this probably before. And there was a pile of gravel or a pile of dirt or something that needed to be moved. And it was me, this young whippersnapper, trying to work my way up. You know, I didn't want to stay a laborer all my life. I was working toward a carpenter's helper and then move up to being a, a carpenter and then master carpenter. And this old man, he was just content with what he was doing. And we both had the same kind of shovels for the same job. And here's this pile. I hated it, but I wanted it done. And I wanted to impress everybody that was watching. And so you know what came next. I mean, I was going at it. And he'd say, And I'm, I'm wearing him out now. Tortoise, hair. I'm going to wear him out. This old man. And I'm over there sucking wind. I'm, uh, you know, I'm about to die. He's still. Never said anything 
Boy, you better listen up. Come to the end of the day. He just smiled, snickered. He said, you know what you learned today, don't you, young feller? I said, yes, sir, I sure do. And he just snickered and walked off. Paul says the race is not for the quick, but the race is for the one that endures. Let us run that race. Laying aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us, let us run with endurance. And it was to signify God's faithfulness. Oh, what will I do? What will I do? He didn't say, please, please go get me that accent. Oh, please do a miracle. All he said was, I've got a problem. prophet of God went over and cut off a stick. He didn't go swimming. Jordan was nasty. He didn't put together a search party. They didn't formulate them a treble hook to drag the bottom. He said, where did it fall? He said, right there. He took that stick, threw it in. Believing in faith and the power of God, the axe head against all Logic and law floated up and they reached out and took it. Is that sharpened edge that needs to be in your life there for the taking if we would just trust God to float it to the top? You say, but I just don't believe it can. Listen, God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, to whoever he wants, whenever he wants, because here's what it's all about. It's not about us. It's about him. Why did this have to happen? A lot of reasons. But the main reason is to remember all glory and praise, all honor be to his name and not ours. For no matter how united we are, no matter how great the vision is, no matter how talented you are, none of it comes without the power and presence of the Holy God. If we're going to see lost people saved, if we're going to see this place full on Easter, if we're going to see men reach with the gospel of Christ in two weeks, if we're going to see a great, the greatest vacation Bible school we've ever had and do a great work in Haiti, then it's going to start on our face before God and say, God, I can't do it, but you can. Lord, take away my pride. Take away my inconsistency. Take away my carelessness. May I be focused solely and completely on you. Maybe today you, you don't even have, you, you, you're not even down there with the schools of prophets because sons of prophets because you're lost. You've been faking it till you make it, but you ain't going to make it without him. You're lost and you know you're lost. You know, you know everybody else is fooled. They're going to be so surprised. Well, you know what? I'd rather surprise everybody now. Thy lost. Come trust Jesus as your Savior. As they come to the instruments this morning. Will you cry out? You say, I don't even know what to pray for. You know what? He didn't even pray. He just cried out, Alas, Master! 
I've lost my edge. And God will start asking you the questions. Where did it go? And then he'll begin to reveal things in your life that maybe you stored away. Maybe he'll, he'll reveal resentment, grudgery, arrogance, pridefulness, self-assuredness, self-aggrandizement. Whatever it is, God reveals it to your heart. Just lay it on the floor. Come bring it to him and let him do a miracle that only he can do in your life today. Stand and come. Stand and come. Man, without hesitation, your life and the blessings depend on it. Trust him for a miracle today. A miracle in your home, a miracle on your job, a miracle with your kids. Come. He's a good father.